0: Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Philippians chapter two, verses nineteen through thirty, with Pastor John King. Happy Mother's Day, moms! Good to have you guys here. And celebrate today. We're going to be uh, finishing, believe it or not, chapter two in Philippians today. We'll be covering verses, yay, covering verses nineteen through thirty. And uh, while you're turning there to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, I just want to remind you where we left off. Uh, Last week, the Apostle Paul has just finished exhorting the church at Philippi with two primary commands. The first one is to continue to obey Christ as you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We talked about that and all the ramifications of that. So if you want to hear last week's message, go to our webpage. That was verse 12. He also said to do all things without complaining and disputing. That was my favorite one in verse 14. Now the first command was not a call for self-improvement, so keep that in mind. But it was what resulted when we work uh, to... Er, excuse me. It was not a call for self-improvement that resulted in you and I obtaining salvation. Salvation. But it refers to our responsibility in the divine relationship to be willing and open to let God work in you. Why? Verse 13, to will and to do for His good pleasure. It's not only an individual responsibility, it's also a church responsibility. It applies to the whole church. The second command was very simple and straightforward. Stop grumbling and arguing. Stop grumbling and arguing, he said. Replace that bad habit with a life that seeks to be blameless and harmless in the eyes of men and God, shining as bright stars in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, he said in verse fifteen. But we notice as we were going through this, so that was last week, but we as you notice and we're going to see it especially today. Paul has a great deal of affection for this church. And in order to get a feel for that, I'm going to ask you to quickly turn back to Philippians 1. Chapter 1. And I want to review verses 27 and 30. All I'm going to do, I'm not going to comment on them. I'm just going to read them. And just kind of get a feel for Paul and his heart for this church. He says, "...only let your conduct be worthy of the Gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit." with one mind, striving together for the faith of the Gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. If you come out this Saturday and give out Bible tracts, you're going to know exactly what that verse means. For God has... He says here in verse 29, for you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him and praise God that we have our faith in Jesus, but also to suffer for His sake. And verse 30, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now you hear is in me. In other words, you signed up to be a Christian, well, guess what? You're going to you're gonna experience persecution. And that depends on how where you live and what time in history you live, but you're all going to experience it. And many of you can testify to that. Now today, we're going to meet two men who Paul highly regards for two things. Their faithfulness and their friendship. Their names are Timothy and Epaproditus. You've heard of Timothy before, of course. But Epaproditus, uh, you've probably never heard of him. You're going to hear a lot about him today. And as we will see, they were examples of men who lived their lives in a manner worthy of the Gospel of Christ. Let's read our passage. It says here, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus, but you know His proven character, that as a son with his father he served with me in the Gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord, that I myself shall also come shortly. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaproditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And therefore I sent him to sent him more eagerly, that when you see him again you may rejoice, and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in Your service toward me. And Father, we just ask and pray, Lord, as we study Your Word today, I I would ask that You would simply open our hearts and unlock our minds. Uh, There's so many things that we can uh, take with us from the outside as we come in, if we've had a rough week. And so, Lord, You've set aside this time for us to gather. You've set aside this time for us to, uh, to sit at Your feet so to speak, and to hear your word and to learn of you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would take it in deeply and richly and that it would change our lives and help us, Lord, as we leave this place to go out to minister to a lost and dying world. I pray this all in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. So, Paul, as I mentioned, starts with Timothy. Uh, Timothy is well-known. And he, he says to them, he was also well-known to the church of Philippi because he'd been with Paul through many journeys. He's presently in Rome with Paul, uh, ministering to his needs. Remember, Paul was in house arrest, and so he could have people come and go and, and care for him and, and companion with him. And actually, Timmy, some, some believe Timothy was also, uh, had served a, a little bit of time in jail himself. But in any event, uh, he says, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Notice, first of all, Paul uh, doesn't like making rash statements that come from his own will. He always likes to to present it in a way, uh, as a a way to teach us that, you know, when things, when he declares something uh, about what's going to happen in the future, he says, I trust in the Lord Jesus. In other words, he doesn't take it lightly, the fact that God is the one who's in charge of his life and that all things come from him. Now, we, as I said, we met Timothy briefly in chapter 1. His name is translated honoring God. Timothy means honoring God in our English. And he was, uh, just briefly, he was a resident of Lystra, which is in western Turkey. And his father was Greek, and his mother was Jewish. And he was Paul's traveling companion, his fellow laborer. And he was also, to Paul, like a son in the faith. He says, I'm going to tr- I trust that the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. So the plan was to send Timothy up to minister, to spend some time with this church, and then to come back to Rome and report to Paul the situation at hand. That's what he says, your state. He says, I'm, I'm asking uh, to be of good comfort, if you will, if you have a King James Version. That means to be encouraged, means to be of good courage, to be of a cheerful spirit by knowing, and in other words, it's, tied, it's kind of tied here in this situation, the condition, their state, their concerns. You know, how was it going for them? What were their spiritual needs? Were there any health issues, things Paul could be praying for? Paul is deeply concerned about their spiritual well-being. And he knows he can't just simply go to them unless he's released. But instead of having sort of an out-of-sight, out-of-mind habit, which is a habit that I have, and I would guess that many of us do, even to our dearest loved ones, sometimes, you know, we we are terrible. I'll admit it. We're terrible about keeping those uh, that are out of sight in our minds and in our hearts. And so he desires to send his faithful companion, Timothy, because Timothy shares the same concerns that Paul shares. He's excited to send Timothy because he can't be there now as you get to, to know Paul better you start to see a man of God who actually allowed himself to be vulnerable most of us in this you know in our society we wear a mask right we, we, we hide our feelings we have this this great facade that everything's going well how's it going great you know we have that that thing that goes on with us especially us men but Paul is he's allowing himself to be vulnerable and he allows his emotions to be actually tied to the health of the church, and some of you might say that's not healthy. But you know, he's trusting in the Lord, and his concern as a pastor and as an apostle that the church would be healthy, that they would be growing in the Lord, and of course, the you know, extending the gospel, bringing the gospel message, the advance of the gospel. Uh, Kent Hughes wrote this, comparing that type of culture and that type of mindset he said modern culture isn't disposed this way the cultural ideal is to make a place for yourself away from the ups and downs of life a kind of Buddhist retreat our modern method is to do this through wealth, environment and technology these are all plastic insulations that we build but this is not what God calls us to and I agree with him the Christian life is meant to be a life of passion and commitment and, yes, vulner- vulnerability. The detached, benign smile is not divine. It's the face of a false religion. The face of Christ in His visage, He uses the word, on the cross in His radiant resurrection countenance. His smile, Jesus, is that of shalom amidst the storms of life. That's peace. That Jesus brings peace to us, and tears and laughter are the divine meter. I've said this many times. You guys can relate to this, especially you men. You may have gone through a a large top portion of your adult life with just holding it in, just holding in all your emotions, because that's what society says. You know, big boys don't cry. Big big boys don't make things. You know, make a big uh, show of their emotions in public. But when I became a Christian and, and, and when I became a believer, remember, you get a new heart now. He takes the heart of stone and He gives you a heart of flesh. And you have, you know, you guys know me, I'm sort of a blubberer now. I've said that many times. But I'm not ashamed of that. Because the Lord, he, you know, we are tied to one another. And I'm not talking about on, being on an emotional roller coaster constantly. But there are times in our lives when we just need to let it down, let it go. Let go of that facade, that tough guy attitude. I'm, I'm guilty of that. You guys, some of you know that. But this man, Timothy, is a person that, someone, that Paul trusts. But notice this, back to Timothy now, notice this, this, this character of Timothy that's very important for us to understand. You see, Timothy is also content to serve in second place. He's not looking for that higher position to be the next apostle. He's willing to just simply do the work of the Lord behind the scenes. And notice how Paul describes his character. First in verse 20, he says his passionate concern. He says, for I have no one like-minded or of equal soul. No one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. No one else like him. A kindred spirit. Paul had known and traveled with Timothy for over ten years. They had become close friends. And in the process, even though Paul often viewed him as a spiritual son, you can't miss the fact that he also saw him as a faithful friend. And the reason for that was because they were on the same page. They had the same goal in mind. Super important. And he says, "He, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Now this, you read this, it's a little bit distressing. It's like in all the Christians in Rome, and there's a pretty sizable church in Rome at the time, there's nobody else that Paul could send. And the answer was no. Not at that time. It doesn't mean they were all evil. But they certainly were, as we're going to see, into taking care of their own needs. And Paul cared so much for this church that he wanted to send the best. He says, sincerely care for your state. Now, the King James Version says he will naturally care for you. And we have to be careful with that language because he doesn't. He, Timothy's natural care and concern for others is not to say that Timothy was born that way. We're all born as sinners, and we're all born very, very selfish. And he, Timothy, like any other believer, needed to develop and cultivate what we've been talking about, what Paul's been talking about. That's the mind of Christ. His example is our example. Jesus was and is the perfect example of love and humility. Through Paul's discipleship and the work of the Holy Spirit, Timothy had developed the mind of a servant. He was willing to serve in second place with Paul and he was much more concerned about the real needs of the church than a title or a position. He wasn't jockeying for that next spot. And then Paul, you know, after saying that, he explains it, verse 21, he says, For all seek their own. In other words, they strive after their own. New Living Translation says it more bluntly. It says all the others care only for themselves. Not the things which are of Christ Jesus. In chapter 1, as you may recall, Paul mentioned those who sought to advance the gospel in Rome, other church members and churches in the greater Roman city, if you will, Christians. Paul's here in house arrest, but they're out still doing ministry. And the church had already been established before Paul actually arrived from from the book of Acts. And Paul graciously declared... Well, first, first of all, as we recall, they were advancing the gospel. You know, kind of the ugly side of ministry, as we said during that message. They were doing it out of envy, strife, and selfish ambition. You know, they were bringing the gospel, but it was for maybe to grow their own fellowship primarily, or to grow their own brand name or their own denomination. That's kind of what they were in. They didn't have denominations then, but you get the picture. It's from envy and strife. In fact. They felt like as long as they drew attention to themselves and they grew their churches through this method, they didn't care what it did to Paul, how it brought the heat down on him in jail. Because, you know, the emperor didn't really like a bunch of Christians starting to populate the local society. The church was growing very rapidly. But Paul was very gracious. You remember he said... He declared that despite their behavior, and this is how we know they're not teaching a false gospel, he said despite their behavior, he could rejoice because at least the gospel of Christ was being preached. And we learned a lesson from that. And there are differences and our denominational differences. You know, at least the gospel of Christ is being preached in many cases. And so we need to, you know, be just be mindful of that. We can, we can rejoice when the work of the Lord is being done. Even if it seems like it's coming against us, you know, somebody may be saying, "Well, that way they do it there, and those people over in Calvary Chapel don't get dressed up very good, very nice for Sunday. Some men walk around in sandals and flip flops and stuff like that. You know, it's what we do here." But if they're preaching the gospel, I got nothing bad to say about them. Amen. I was making all that up, by the way. But uh, anyway, uh, we look here at verse 22. You know His proven character. And this is important. Character is absolutely everything when it comes to trusting somebody. You will not place your trust in somebody who you don't trust, who has poor character, who has lied to you, who has cheated you, who has stabbed you in the back. That's poor character. That's not Christian character. But you, you know, and it takes time to prove that character, because people are skeptical. But he says, you know, his proven character, dokime, tried character. So they knew him. They weren't unfamiliar with him. And you know, I'll say it again. Timothy was consistent and dependable. He was willing to drop what he was doing and make a 40-day journey from Rome to Philippi. If it's 800 miles trek, that's 20 miles a day. That's quite a haul. And then he says that as a son with his father, he served me in the Gospel. Again, this is where we see Timothy's name Comes up, and in in the New Testament, you know, we're not in the books of Timothy yet, the letters, but his name comes up 28 times. He's a prominent name, and Paul referred to Timothy as my own son in the faith, my dearly beloved son. He was ordained as a prophet by Paul and the elders of Derby and Lystra. He accompanied Paul on his second and third missionary journeys, and he was held there with with Paul in Rome being held, and and apparently he could be released. So as you study the life and the ministry of Timothy, you notice he had a good balance. And this is another important thing when you're looking for somebody as a leader. He had a good balance of training and experience. Training and experience. Sometimes we make the mistake in the church, you know, especially smaller churches like ours, um, and any church for that matter, but sometimes we, we make the mistake of placing people in leadership roles before they're ready. And this can cause problems that are hard to overcome. Now we know, uh, you're looking at it, we're not perfect, the church is not perfect, okay? But, you know, there, are some, there is some wisdom in having not only the character, but also the training and the experience. In verse twenty-three, he says, Therefore I hope to send him at once. But notice he says, As soon as I see how it goes with me. What he's saying is, you know, his trial is pending. We've we've learned this so far. He may well end up being found guilty of treason against Rome, because he's a Roman citizen. And so he's he's waiting to see what's gonna happen. What's Caesar gonna do with him? And so he says, As soon as I see how it goes, so he must have had a clue or a hint that. His trial was coming soon. He says again, but notice, I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Again, his faith is in the Lord. He's trusting in God about the future events. And when he says trust, he says I have confidence. In who? Not himself, but in the Lord. It's hard to miss kind of the, the gist of what's happening here when you consider. Uh, I kind of want to, I, what I wanted to talk about was the, sort of the friendship aspect of co laborers in the Lord. And those of us who consider, you know, we have true friends uh, in our life whose character has been proven over the course of time. And you can say, I've trusted that brother. He's been a, a good brother in the Lord for all these years. You know, we've had our ups and downs, but we, we still have honor, respect. We love one another. And in, as you live life, you know, uh, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, you're going to have many acquaintances. You're going to have many co-workers. You're going to have many team members and companions. But it's, if we're being honest... It's not hard to find a man or a woman that will tell you in all honesty that they don't have one single close friend in this world. Now, I'm not talking about your spouse. That's another different relationship, and oftentimes, yeah, your spouse should be your best friend. I'm talking about those in the body of Christ who you serve with, who you labor with. And, you know, it's kind of a sad story, really, to say that we don't really have a single or... First of all, in life, you're not going to have very many, right? You can count your, your closest friends on one hand. But to say that you don't have a single close friend in this life, apart from your family and the Lord, um, you know, that's a little distressing. I mean, that's not... you know, it, it's Sometimes circumstances work out that way, especially if you move around. You know, if you've been in the military or you've transferred around a lot, um, it's hard. It's hard to make close friends. But one of the reasons why it doesn't work out, if we're being honest, and why we don't have more close friends, and I'm not talking about you've got to have a bazillion, like on Facebook, but I'm talking about the fact that it takes time. And you know what? We're too busy. Especially if you have a bitter root in your heart. You've been burned by people in relationships or by friends. And you don't, you don't really want to invest the energy that it's going to take to cultivate true friendship. And that, if that's the case, and I'm not saying, you know, I don't know, but if that's the case, you know, shame on us. that we won't take the time to get to know others, to make close friends. and that said a person with many friends may still run into problems but you know having a large number of friends doesn't equal help in the time of need in fact it's often said that a true friend is the one is one of the only ones that'll show up when you really need help in something we know the popular celebrities, they face this delay. You know, how many friends, how many fans do these popular celebrities have? People will go to great lengths just to get a picture with them or to get their autograph. Our era, I'll mention this, our era of social media promotes many superficial connections, which we call friends. If you've been doing this Facebook thing, and I'm on Facebook, and I have you know hundreds of friends. But there's times when I have to say, man, is that person really being a friend? (laughs) You know, because social media emboldens people to say things they wouldn't have the guts to say to your face. And so you have to do the unfriend thing sometimes. But we've made it such a trite word. It has no depth and no meaning. That's the world we're living in. Chuck Swindoll said this. He said, close friends not only help us, they transform us. Just as bad company corrupts good morals, good company promotes good character. Courage, leadership, humility, strength, faithfulness, and joyfulness. Proverbs 17:17 says, a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. Close friends prop us up when we're weak, they lift our spirits when we're down, and they push us when we get tired. Friends motivate us, sometimes without even words, to be more than we could be without them. And as we observe their perseverance, we're prompted to endure hardship. As we hang around a good servant leader, seeds of humility are planted into our lives. As we see a godly saint stare down adversity with a smile, we learn how to have a deep-seated joy amid frustrations and challenges, he writes. How do we get close friends? What's the biblical prescription, if you will? Well, it's, if you want to have close friends, you got to be one. you got to be a good friend. Proverbs 18.24 A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And we're always going to have our Lord. And I'm not trying to diminish that at all. I mean, that's key. That's number one. Because our relationship with God controls all other relationships that we have. And we cherish our friendship with Jesus. He hears everything. He sees everything. He knows every thought. And yet He still loves us. But notice this good friend of Paul's, Timothy, he was focused on the spiritual condition of God's people, not the internal politics. And when we allow these things to take center stage, when you see leaders having issues, we're not having one, leaders that have issues, it's because they're allowing the internal things to go and to consume their time. And what does that do? It diverts energy from the things that are necessary to serve the body of Christ. Amen? Amen? Now we're going to take a look at another type of friend. His name is Epaproditus. I'm probably not saying that right. Epaphroditus, verse 25. <laughs> Yet I considered it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my needs. So there's a lot in that one. But Paul, he wants to make sure that they, they know, and I'll explain in a little while, he wants to make sure that the Philippians know exactly how Paul feels about this brother in the Lord. His name, Epaphroditus, is Greek for lovely, and in Latin it means handsome. And it was a very common name in the Roman period. But his ministry in relation to Paul goes like this in three things. First of all, he says he's my brother. In other words... They're in the same household. They're fellow believers. Next, he says he's a fellow worker. He's a companion in labor. He's one who labors with another in furthering the cause of Christ. You know, many serve the Lord. And, and we say, oh, I do it in my way. I got my ministry over here. I do this and that. But it's hard to find people that really want to serve the Lord together. It's It's hard. And really want to labor together. You might do it out of obligation on occasion. But do you really want to labor with fellow workers who you fellowship with? And also he says, finally, he's a fellow soldier. Now, a fellow soldier means he's an associate in the labors and the conflicts for the cause of Christ. And as we'll see, he was willing to risk his life. One writer said, Epaphroditus, if you look at him, he was, by Paul's description, he was a balanced Christian. He was balanced. He didn't just, you know, he wasn't just looking about um, the fellowship. He was looking at the fellowship and the advancement of the gospel. And sometimes we get overbalanced on one or the other. We're all into us. You know, Jesus has been said, you know, we put a sign, Jesus only, and the breeze blew, and it ended up being us only, because we were all so into ourselves. So he's very balanced. And notice his ministry in relation to the Philippians. He says, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. Now, if you translate messenger and you read it, you see apostolos. Paul is not giving him the title of an apostle, but he's doing the work of an apostle. And that, what is that? A messenger. A person who brings good news. Brings information. Who was sent and it says he ministered to my needs now the word that he uses for ministered is a really important word because what it really means is somebody who does something totally voluntarily and they cover their own expenses they care so much that they're willing to you know they're not going to send a, a bill to the organization that sent them to the church hey can you cover my expenses? You see, what, why, is, why is it kind of. Let's, let's kind of explain this real quickly because I, I don't want to take too long today. You can uh, you look at the church in Philippi, and they were very, very concerned about Paul being in jail. You know, as we said earlier, he was miraculously re- released from jail in Acts chapter 16 while he was in Philippi, which led to people getting saved, and that led to the church being established. But they're super concerned about Paul And so the church decided to do two things. They took up an offering to meet Paul's needs, and they sent this guy, Epaphroditus, to take that offering and to care for Paul while he was there. Now, apparently, you know, he was in house arrest, but uh, historians will tell you that most likely the Roman pris- prison citizen, the, the Roman prison system is not like our modern-day system. You know, three hots and a cot, all that kind of stuff, if you know that language. Uh, but he wasn't going to be provided for food, clothing, or medical care. And so it was incumbent on those who supported him to come. They took an offering so that they could come and, and minister to Paul. Because he was also, Epaphroditus was put himself in danger. Why? Because Paul was being held for a capital crime. He'd appealed his case all the way to Caesar, but what he's done was, you know, in not hailing Caesar and not worshiping Caesar. That's a capital crime. And so this man's putting himself in a very, very difficult situation. Now, in verse 26, it says, "Since he was longing for you and was for you all was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, so they sent a delegation. Remember, it's 40 days' journey." and he got sick, well, somebody in the delegation would have had to go back and tell the Philippians, hey, the guy you sent, Epaphroditus, he's like sick. And when you say sick in the ancient world, they didn't have modern medicine. They didn't have you know, all the, all, the, all the things and the remedies and all the doctors. So getting sick could easily be your death. Just a cold. Catch pneumonia. You're going to die. They didn't have ERs and places like that. And so they were worried about him and they heard he was sick. And that bothered Epaphroditus. He's like, I, you know, Paul, this is not good. You know, they had to come. He was, he was in Rome by now. But he expressed to Paul and Paul wrote it in the letter to tell them that he was really upset about the fact that he'd gotten sick and they were worried about him. In verse 27, he says, indeed, he was sick almost unto death. So you see how serious it was, whatever it was. But notice it says, but God... Had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. You know, again, not we we live in modern medicine. When you get a headache, that you don't go to the headache to the. Typically, you go to the cabinet when you get a headache. You don't typically say, "Lord, will you take this headache away?" Maybe you should. Maybe I should. Maybe you do. You typically reach for the Excedrin. <laughs> so, and there's nothing wrong with that. But he's saying, you know. The Lord showed him mercy. Because people didn't live to be very old in that day, and again, getting sick could easily be your death. So, Paul and Epaphroditus, they were both, in a sense, praising God for his mercy. It would have been just like a double whammy. You know, if he had died, and, and, you know, I would have, man, it would have been a terrible situation. And Paul's kind of reliving this in his mind. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Let's say you were living in the time and you were a Christian and you had heard uh, that they were looking for folks to go minister with the great apostle Paul. And you knew his history and you knew the history of the church and you knew all the things that had happened around centering around Paul. Who would not want to be on that missions trip? Who would not want to sign up for that? Some of you are missionaries, and you've served in the mission field, and you had an opportunity to serve with the great apostle Paul. In fact, you might be really, you might be willing to risk your life to do that, and then you might get sick, and you might almost die. I mean, that's a reality in even today's world for missionaries who go out in places where they don't have access to medical care and doctors. So Paul had a high regard for this man, because even in those days, maybe not everybody was willing to sign up for that. Because what Epaphroditus was signing up for was a long journey, a lot of perils, putting his life in jeopardy, getting himself on the bad side with the Romans. Yet he did it anyway. In verse 28... Paul says, Therefore, I sent him to you more eagerly. Why did he do that? Because he knew that they were concerned about this brother who they'd sent. So, Paul, he was going to have Epaphroditus deliver the letter we've been reading for the last several weeks. He was the one who was going to carry that letter back and let him know. See, he says, When you see him again, you may rejoice and be less sorrowful, and I may be less sorrowful. Notice, Epaphroditus wasn't saying, "Paul, I got to go back home." But, you know, he was there to serve Paul, and Paul says, "I'm sending you back." And this makes this also um, leads us into verse 29. He says, "Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem." Why is he having to say that? Well, because in that day and age, um, it could have looked like Epaphroditus if he came back early. You know, this is an honor-shame culture, okay? Honor-shame culture says you show your honor, you do the right thing no matter what, or shame on you and your entire family. We see that in our military sometimes. And Paul wanted to explain to this church that he was in no way disappointed with the man that they had sent. And so he says, receive him with all gladness and honor him in esteem he says in verse 30 because for the work of Christ he came close to death not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me he's explaining why this man deserved honor not regarding his life is to throw it aside. It's, it's like the, the Greek word for gambling. It's to be a gambler. To gamble it all the way. I'm gonna take a chance. You know, as we've said, as I said this, this is a very personal and heartfelt letter. I mean, we get to see everything You know, this aspect. He's not really speaking doctrine today. We're not learning some foundational theology. We're learning the basics of relationships in Christ and how they're built and how they're maintained. And it's important for us. And it's convicting when we read Paul's concern, his tender-heartedness, and then sometimes we might consider how cold and callous we can be. Proverbs 22:11. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. Hebrews 3:13 but exhort one another daily while well, it's called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This world wears on us, right? I don't need to tell you that. The things that go on in our culture and society, the things that our, you know, our family problems, our prodigal children, illnesses that happen, the things we got to deal with on a daily basis, that has a has a hardening effect sometimes on our hearts. And so we need to be in each other's lives, not in each other's business, okay? Don't get me wrong about that. But in each other's lives in a genuine way where we care for one another and that we can exhort one another each and every day Now, as I said, when it comes to friendship, those of us who know Jesus as Savior and Lord also know Him as a close, personal friend. And at times, He is our only friend. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. And as He he has promised, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Jesus is truly the friend who sticks closer than a brother. And blessed are those who have Him as their friend. Today we've learned about two kinds of friendship among believers. In Timothy we have a, a young man who is totally committed to Christ. Who is willing to serve in second place. Who cares more about the needs of the people of the church than getting recognition to a higher status. He not only supports his spiritual father Paul, but they also share in a like-minded friendship. And Paul has no problem sending Timothy to Philippi, because he trusts that Timothy will represent him as though he himself had gone. We also see Epaphroditus. We see someone who is not only to risk everything, but he nearly died in his service to the Lord. In his physical illness, he did not quit or forsake the mission he was sent on. And the same is said for his loyalty to the church that sent him. He carried their financial offering despite nearly dying in the process. And as a fellow laborer, he he was there to work alongside with Paul. He was also a fellow soldier in Christ, and he put his life in danger by associating with Paul, who was on trial. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel, Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.